It's a new year, Shane Douglas. And my new year's resolution is to change the direction of the ECW. Welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast going back in the time machine to January of 1997 for Volume 3 of this month's show. Three volumes for you this month across four different shows. Volume 1 is the WWF show looking at the Royal Rumble. Volume 2 is split into two parts, thanks to WCW Housing vs. Clash, which we cover in Volume Number 1, and NWO Sold Out, which we cover in Volume Number 2. We're here in Number 3 to discuss ECW. I'm being joined first by Roy McNamara. Roy, good evening. Good evening, gents. And Chris Lacey. How do, boys? How are we? Now, very well indeed. A quietish month in ECW. You will very quickly realise we have no major show or even show at all to review, so it's going to be a bit more TV heavy. But there is some interesting stuff to discuss. Uh, Chris, namely, kicking off with the news, a ravishing return. We do have a mysterious man in a mask who appeared on TV this month. Well... He didn't unmask. It was very obviously, it was Rick Rude because of the tone of voice, the mannerisms, and the slight tash poking out of the bottom of the mask. Um, Rude claimed that his purpose for being in ECW was to, and I quote, fuck with Shane Douglas. It was also quite apparent that it was Rick Rude that when he walked out, a bloke kind of leant over the guardrail, got a very close look up, and then turned around and went... It's Rick Rude. That was kind of a bit of giveaway. Um, but ECW's plan, basically, was the hope, and they backpedaled on this by the end of the month, but they were hoping that people wouldn't realise it was Rick Rude. And we will come to that when we get to that part of the show. Um, and Chris, uh, Rude's part of his job in fucking with Douglas was to usher in the return to in-ring action for Pitbull 1. That's right, Gary Wolf is back, and as you'd expect, his first matter of business was fucking up Steve Shane Douglas. Um, obviously, we'll go into it in a bit more detail in the TV review, but let's just say he took a hiding. Did a bit. Did a bit. Uh, after the mass transit story from a couple of months ago, uh, ECW returned to Revere, and things have changed a little bit. Yep, um, so there was a spot show back at the same building where the mass transit incident happened. Um, As you'd probably expect, it was a much more subdued and calmer affair, uh, with pretty much no brawling outside of the crowd, into the crowd, or even out around the ringside, and zero blood. A small number of local hardcore fans did start shouting, ECW sucks, but as you can probably imagine, there was much reason to not have the same sort of level of show as they had last time they were there. The gangsters also not booked, not really a surprise. Um, the only real sort of moment of incident was an attack team match. As Douglas and Francine were leaving, a fan grabbed Francine's boob, and as you quite rightly would imagine, the franchise 
went nuts, and it took a fair few people to restrain him. Quite right, too. Uh, when Stevie Richards was saying that the BWO were taking over, he wasn't half wrong. That's right. The BWO shirts are now accounting for more than 40% of all of the merchandise sold at East 3 cw um, As you can probably tell by sit watching most ECW events, pretty much they have a high turnover with uh, merchandise. Um, always people in shirts that clearly sort of buying at the shows. And as we said, 40% of them are buying BWO shirts. So if someone's got one that they can get hold of in an extra large and want to send it over to me, That'd be wonderful. Yeah, I'm not sure ECW's got an international distribution deal right now. Maybe next year. Let's get them on pay-per-view first. Speaking of pay-per-view, we have, what we've had details for months and bits and pieces, but we finally have some confirmation on a few things, including when the show's going to be and what it's going to be called. So, it has now been confirmed by Request TV that on the 4th, or the 13th of the 4th, in the ECW arena from 9pm will be ECW barely legal. Um, the main matches for the show have been pretty much sort of announced to people that it's going to be Sabu versus Taz, which we sort of knew was going to happen. Terry Funk versus the Sandman versus Stevie Richards, with the winner getting a shot at Raven's title later in the evening. And Shane Douglas versus Pitbull 2 for the TV title. There's been a price point suggested at between 1995 and 2495 for the event, and obviously that would mean sort of a decent return on for them when it comes back to it. Um, there's also been a deal with Mishinoku Pro that's been in the works at the moment for maybe having some of the Mishinoku Pro guys there for the show. There has been a few provisions been put in and requests from Request TV for their pay-per-view. There's been a request that there must be a doctor at ring size with the power to stop matches at any times if any of the wrestlers are in, in severe danger. An ambulance must be at the arena. It, there has to be held under the athletic governing body, which is the uh, State Athletic Commission of Philadelphia, that's always been overseeing ECW, but they want a more formal sort of agreement for the evening. Um, the wrestlers have to pass a physical on the day of the show. That'll be quite interesting for Terry Funk. Oh, well, not just Funk. Not just Funk. <laughs> there's, there, there's a number of those guys I'm thinking, ooh, this could, that could be interesting. Mm. Um, all the wrestlers must be insured... And there has to be accredited police officers present at all times. In addition to this, there needs to be an approval ahead of time for any foreign objects that can be used. So, there has been told that there can be no ban on blading, use of chairs or brawling in the crowd. So, that's a, at least that's a little bit on there. But obviously, the bring it to the arena and use it yourself technique that gangsters have may be frowned upon because I would imagine none of those items will be pre given the pre-appropriate also ECW are planning on upgrading the lighting and jazzing up the ring entrance for making the show look nicer as we saw this month with the new ECW branded side ring skirts 
And there we go. Rory, thoughts on, well, any of the news, but in particular the uh, the, the, the pay-per-view developments? Yeah, I'm, I'm only sick of the pay-per-view. Just to say, uh, if I was ECW, I'd wait a few more months before going back to Revere again. I think the phrase is, bad luck follows them around if they go in that particular neck of the woods, so uh, I'd steer clear for a while. But yes, it looks like it's finally happening, doesn't it? We've been talking about it for, well, I forget how long now, but finally we've, we've got a date, we've got a name. Not sure about that name, by the way. And best of all, we've got a card. And I think they've made a really good decision here in getting what looked like being the biggest matches out there first. I think they really need to try to whip up uh, whip up interest for this particular one. So getting out what's going to be three very big-sounding matches there is the right way to go. I'm pretty sure that Taz Sabu is going to be the main event of those. It should be, but we'll see. Um, but already they're learning the hard way, aren't they, with some of the restrictions that have been, have been imposed on them. Um, it's quite right that they... Should, but blading itself hasn't been ruled, hasn't been ruled out. That would, there'd be a bit more ECW sucks chance there, and that would not be a good look on their very first pay per view. But I've got to admit, I don't have a chuckle at uh, everybody being required, uh, required a physical, is it a physical or medical? I mean, can yeah, you, it's a really, physical beforehand. Yeah, can you really imagine A, the Sandman turning up to a physical? And B, what the response would be when the doctor sees him when he turns up for the physical there with his Budweiser in one hand, his, uh, his cigarette in the other, and, <laughs> Maybe somebody holding his gut for him as well. I'd like to be there for the results of that one, let's say that. That's, uh, I think they're already learning ECW, but they're not going to have it all their own way on the pay-per-view. But that's the good thing. If they want to play the game, they've got to play the game. But I don't want to be too critical at this point. They've got what they've been looking for. And I'm going to say it. They've got what they finally deserve too. And now they've got a big three-month run to get there. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think there was always going to be some concessions to be made, but you know, when we read through that, like that second part of, of Chris's news, I think that was from the torch, basically about the the concessions ECW had to make. I don't think they're that bad. Like, you know, I think it could have been a lot, lot worse in terms of stuff they had to do. A lot of it's just administrative. A lot of it's like, you know, the you know there needs to be an ambulance present at the arena. There probably should be anyway. Um, you know, and the wrestlers have got to pass physicals. You know, there's got to be other things as well. They've got to be insured. They've got to be presumably pass ID checks so they don't get a repeat of the Eric Coolest thing. Not that I think they're going to go there on pay per view. Um, but yeah, a lot of it just seems administrative. Other than that, like all the rest seems to be okay. And the the impression I got reading quotes from uh, I, I think one of the guys at uh, Request TV was that you know they un- they understand the situation. They know that it's going to be a different to the right kind of wrestling they're presenting. The time slot is very telling, 9 p.m. to midnight, which is a lot later than a lot of their shows, a lot later than wrestling shows as well. Um, and also with the thought, you know, they don't want to tone it down too much um, and yeah I think where, where, where ECW are concerned it's it's a massive opportunity I think there's a lot to be said for they've got to get this card right I'm not surprised that they've gone to a, a Japanese promotion to try and get some work rate in because if you know, we, we've seen a lot of ECW shows in the past where you've had kind of three or four quite good matches and then a really kind of sluggish undercard. On pay-per-view, they're not going to want that. Um, and they, right now, they don't really have the, the the depth of regular or semi-regular talent that they perhaps had at any point in the last couple of years in terms of they don't have these semi-regular guys like, you know, Malenko or Benoit or Mysterio or guys that you can bring in and just be like, okay, let's, let's stick a great wrestling match on in the middle of the card or something different. Don't have that now. Um, more full them if they book Sandman and Raven again on this show. Oh, no. um, you know, I mean, 
I don't wish to say they're signposting Terry Funk's next title win, um, but a qualified match between him, Sandman, and Stevie Richards is very much, hmm, you know, we don't have a lot else uh, in the uh, in the qualification stakes. But I, I like that. I like that little step. I guess they could try and build it up. We all know it's going to be Funk and Raven, but I don't. I, I think that's actually quite an intriguing match. Well, I, whether I go on last of it, I don't know. I don't know that a 48-year-old Terry Funk against Raven is a great matchup. Chris, your thoughts on, on, on any or all of that? I think if, as you're sort of saying, that you, you think it'll be Raven and Funk, I think the way you do that is you do put the the freeway on first, and then you put it on after Sabu and Taz, but you don't make it long for the for the final match for the title. Um, Particularly, you've got some, I guess also the, the main event of the show is also going to depend on what finish they got planned for Sabu and Taz. Yeah, because obviously, if if that's if they're looking for something spectacular and memorable to go off the air with, you could do a lot worse than having Taz and Sabu have some sort of you know stunted thing for a finish. You know, we've, we've seen in the Fed them use the spot where the ring opens up where Undertaker would come out from the bottom of it, you know, when last year with the issues with Diesel. Um, they could do something like that where they, you know, jimmy the ring slightly that put go through the ring with a, with a finishing move, fade to black, you know, do something that no one else has done. So there is, it would depend on what they want to do with that on the, obviously the order of the show, but I would still look at it and maybe put the, the title match last just to give whoever is the winner of the triple threat the longest period of time to recover before going into another match. I get the sense that Stevie Richards is going to be doing about 75% of the work in that three-way match. Um, I don't, you know, uh, Sandman will try. Funk, you can protect a little bit. Um, and that's the way of getting Funk through two matches in one night. But I don't necessarily disagree that if you're going to do Funk and Raven, that doesn't need to be a 20-minute, you know, walking classic. That can be eight, nine minutes at the end of the show. Um, with a feel-good moment and Funk winning the belt. Rory, thoughts on the on the card as it's lining up? So the card is looking good. They're, they're, they're getting big-name announcements out there straight away, as I feel they need to do. Uh, I still think, personally, well, I agree with you, it's, it's going to be Terry Funk be Raven for the title. I think that's already a certainty. Uh, but I'm still, as much as I love Terry Funk, I'll talk about it a, a bit more later on, I'm still not absolutely sure that screams main event at this point. Primarily because, as we know, the ECW title is often seen as secondary uh, in that particular promotion. I think that Sabu Taz is the big match. I also think, as well, as much as I've loved the build-up for the feud that's lasted for a year, I almost think that needs to be, either way, a one-and-done. And I think your first paper, whoever eventually goes over, you think old-school booking would say that you know, Sabu, the babyface, would go over. But even so, I think it needs to be We've built up for 18 months for this one particular match. And where better to do that than your uh, inaugural pay-per-view? But so like I say, the card is already looking very strong. I think the Michinoku Pro match is going to be an absolute ton of fun. And uh, so it looks like we're going to be getting all the great hallmarks of ECW. Uh, the, 
their equivalent of big names, big views coming to an end, some wild brawls and some great work rate as well. So I really am, again, this is going to be, we could we could be talking one of the pay-per-views of the year here, so fingers crossed. We could be. We'll discuss Terry Fox lining up the t- title at the back end of the show. Right, we'll move on now to TV. As I said, there is no live event to review this month. There wasn't really even a live event as such. Um, ECW essentially had, your hardcore TV was four weeks, bookended, sorry, of the four weeks, the two bookends were basically just two live events. And then they had some footage from the uh, ECW Arena show, but that wasn't really a major show. That was more basically a TV taping. So I've only got TVs, and Chris is now the man in charge of the TVs. Um, so Chris, by and large, just over to you. Uh, you know, there's, there's some interesting stuff to discuss. We've got Rick Rude, and we've got the funk thing from show number four. But walk us through TV this month, and, and where you like, bring us in, and we'll, we'll discuss some of the action. So, right, we'll start the month, as we should, with the first episode of the month, which aired on the 7th of January. Um, the show opened with a Terry Funk video package, basically with lots of highlights from the November to Remember tag team match. This is interrupted by the BWO's very own entrance video. And as Bob was saying, the uh, first show was taking place at a separate show on its own from Webster Mass... Town Hall, which as a venue looked awesome for a wrestling show with its tiered balcony around the top. The first match of the evening saw Axel Rotten going against Stevie Richards. They must be low on time because Axel Rotten gets a full intro. Stevie makes his way down from the balconies, full BWO chance and everything. As for the match, nothing really to take home with, so I didn't do a full match review, but Stevie wins with a Stevie kick in what was an okay for TV match. Joey Styles poses the question of, is Taz injured? Um, basically, sort of seeing why Taz, is Taz's arm rot, hurt, because obviously with the uh, last show with the Battle Royal, Taz came out before it saying if he wasn't first he wasn't going to be in it but he was favouring his arm we then get quick cuts of a Bubba versus Devon Dudley brawl and we get quick cuts of Pitbull 2 absolutely destroying Joel Gertner after he called him illiterate highlights from Shane versus Tommy Dreamer from a few weeks ago where we see Francine fighting Bueller. And quick ending of the Eliminators versus Bubba and Spike match, which includes watching Spike doing an awesome Hurricane Rana, Bubba picking up Saturn and throwing him into Cronus on the outside of the ring and then launching Spike on top of him. And also watching Cronus doing a flip leg drop and hitting the total elimination on Spike for the win. After this, we get Killer Kowalski, who came down to give the Eliminators the new ECW Tag Team title belt. We get an interview with Chris Candido, as performed by Joel Gertner in Hype Central. In this, he berates Louis. Spicoli and comes out with his new gimmick name of No Gimmicks Needed. 
we see a match again between Brian Lee and Hollywood Nova. Before this, we're shown highlights from last month's Battle Royal where Lee eliminated all of the BWO. Stevie does a promo basically saying that let bygones be bygones and we can still be part of Raven's team. Nova goes to shake hands with Lee, who chokeslimes him with the primetime slam and wins in 29 seconds. The bulldozer for hire wins a tune-up match against Hollywood Novin. It's all over for Hollywood and has been for quite some time, if you know what I mean. He'll take on the legend himself, Terry Funk, this Saturday night at the ECW Arena. But standing by right now, one of the original hardcore wrestling legends. He's in the locker room in the back. Killer Kowalski, it's an honor and a privilege to have you here in Webster, Massachusetts. You've got to admit, a lot of what you started in the 50s is being carried on now and even further by bulldozer Brian Lee here in the 90s. Everything I've done in my career, I'm very, very proud of. Terry Funk, I told you, I'm a legend killer. Backstage, Killer Kowalski is having an interview. Brian Lee comes out and chokes him and tells Funk that he's out to kill him as a legend killer. After this, we get the Eliminators rebuttaling, calling out Brian Lee and Chris Candido as Killer Kowalski was the trainer of both of the Eliminators. And for the main event of the show, Raven is in the ring calling out Sandman, claiming that he was a better husband, a better father, and better wrestler than the Sandman, and he wants his belt back. Sandman comes out, and batters Raven with said title belt. Both men exchange punches, with Sandman being in control. Raven is busted open, hits a nutshot, grabs the belt, and uses it on the Sandman. He then grabs the mics and asks Sandman if he could see the belt as he's smashing it into his face. Comedic genius at its best. They both go to the outside and brawl into the crowd and all the way through to the merch table. Raven suplexes him through said merch table and then they find, somehow, they walk around the building and find a staircase that goes out of the main hall. While they're working their way up the staircase, they're bashing each other into the walls and you can see the blood stains going on on the walls. Now on the balcony, um, they go into the BWO's locker room where Sandman is thrown into some stairs, the walls, and then down the stairs. Raven shoves Stevie and leaves. Sandman comes back out of the locker room, now sporting a BWO t-shirt. Both men continue to brawl across the crowd, um, with more being thrown into the walls as they go back downstairs into the main area of the reception. But surroundingly, this town hall has a massive cannon in its reception hall. They go back to the ringside. Sandman whips Raven into the railings a few times. They both exchange punches, and we fade to black with both men lying on the mat. Where to start with this? Rory, Killer Kowalski, what the hell was that? I haven't got an earthly as to what the hell was going on there. It was an interview that they actually, uh, Joey actually trailed as well. And uh, I think uh, the port, they roped him in for this. 
70 years old or whatever he is, he'd manage to get one sentence out, then he gets choked from behind by Brian freaking Lee. Um, if they want to try and get heat on Lee, then there are other ways to do it than bringing out Killer Kowalski, somebody who I think has absolutely no cannon whatsoever in ECW. And have they made play before that the Eliminators have been trained by him? I'm not sure they have. So this was uh, completely pointless, and it risked the health of a, an elderly gentleman for no real reason, I'm afraid. So this was just... Uh, two minutes of plain stupidity, which I still yeah. can't put my finger on why it even happened. Yeah, and it, it risked the hell. I mean, and more the point, like, you know, it just, what was the point? And I think the, I still the story came out, out after this was basically ECW kind of worked out that the whole thing was a bit of a damp squid and basically abandoned the whole point. Um, but yeah, I, I don't necessarily mind randomly bringing in Kowalski. Like you know, I think you can do a good enough job there of, of patching in that story. Um, but yeah, just a really odd use of him. ECW is still doing this whole via satellite thing, even though it seems really, really phony. It's really weird that you know your audience, you know they're not going to buy it. Don't do it. Set about set it up in another way. And you've got this weird thing where they did the angle with Kowalski and uh, Brian Lee, and they cut to commercial, and then when they come back from commercial, they've immediately got the rebuttal from the Eliminators, without any frame or context or real time, you know, did the angle at the start, and then have Joey Styles say later, we've got we, we've got some comments from, from the Eliminators coming back. The whole thing felt really rushed, and Chris, the whole thing felt really shit, like, I was also like, why do it? Yeah, it's... I know, obviously, I get that, you know, you want to do something for Lee and Candido that isn't just, you know, being Douglas's lackeys and going against the pitbulls. But as both of you have said, there would be much easier and better ways to, you know, make Lee their antagonist and give them a reason that they want to, you know, take him out. They don't need to go after... You know, their their elderly trainer that, as you say, hasn't really been sort of pushed the fact of, oh, look, he's, he trained with them. Like, obviously, with WWF have done it with Sean and Jose Leferio. You know, before going into Mania 12, they did the whole, you know, him going back to do training. You know, so you got the reason why he was there, and it sort of paid out and then made sense why he's following around like he does now. But for this, there was no real rhyme or reason for it, and as as we can see by the rest of the month, it pretty much gets wrapped under the carpet and is uh, forgotten. Yeah, it's almost like they got there and worked out that Kowalski wasn't in a position to cut a promo, in which case, don't have him do it. Change plans, like, you know, just scrap the three minutes of the show you had a schedule for that, and just put a longer part of one of the matches in. Anyway, yeah, not for not for the first time, probably not for the last. ECW are going to try something and then very, very quickly realise that it's probably not going to work out the way they plan. Uh, Rory, uh, you know, I, I, we've seen a couple of these in the last few weeks. I do quite enjoy the occasional hardcore TV filmed away from the ECW arena. Feels different. I think it's a good advert for a, an ECW live event to show them in, in, in different places. And it's just a bit like... Occasionally when Nitro's in a really random venue as well, it makes it more memorable. Definitely. I think one of the ECW's problems, and it's not always strictly their fault with the, their pinched financial position, but they do look very insular at times. I mean, I'm pretty much sick of the sight of the 
ECW arena, inverted commas now. So the fact that um, they can do full TV shows where they really do get out and about a bit, it's a nice change of pace. It gives other people a chance to get to the venue as well. So Hat Guy and Lenny and Bloody Vladimir don't buy up all the tickets. I'm sure they were there anyway. Um, so it's just a good change of pace for us viewers as well. We're getting something just a little bit different than ECW. We're trying to branch out, as I think this year they have to. I think it's a very important year for them. And it shows they're making the effort to do so. So as long as they can, they can still keep the ECW arena as their hub. But if they can do more tapings in other places, then more power to them. Go ahead and do it. Yeah, I think it'll, it'll help create make TV feel a bit fresh. I think it'll also... You know, if if people are buying tickets thinking, well, this live event could feature in an episode of Hardcore TV, that that might help them sell tickets as well. Just, just an obvious thing to do, really. You know, I mean, I, I think they're largely doing it when they have to. But, you know, once every three or four weeks, just have a, a, a show that largely features around one building that isn't the ECW arena. Particularly a building like this that looks significantly different, lit very differently, clearly much smaller, probably only about four or 500 people in attendance, if that. Um, and, yeah, it just, you know, I, 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 I will remember this show, at the you know, in a few months' time, probably more than other shows from the ECW arena, just because it looks different. Chris, thoughts on the same question? As, as you're saying, it sort of, it makes it look a, better and in, in actual way a bigger product because they're not just in the same place all the time and obviously we've seen footage from other venues and other shows but it's always been that dodgy hand cam ECW fan cam style footage um, but to actually see them do a full production value shoot at a different venue I think makes it awesome and um, obviously as I mentioned in the, the review, especially of the Raven Sandman match, walking in a venue where they've got things like a cannon in the in the main concourse, <laughs> you can use that to your advantage if you are doing walking brawls. Instead of it being, oh look, we've gone up the bleachers and uh, we're at the crow's nest. Like ninety percent of all the walking brawls happen in in the ECW arena. You can pre-scout these places when you turn up to these venues and go, ah, oh, there's a cannon there. We could use that for something. Like they did with the fact that there was the room on top of the balcony. They turned that into the BWO's locker room and they had the thing there, which makes it different. It's, I think ECW have got to start looking at things that aren't going to cost the earth to do, but make the show unique and not as formulaic and not as samey for for the TV audience, especially because now they need to make sure they've got a growing audience and a sort of a captivated audience that are going to put their hands in their pockets and pay the $20 in a couple of months to buy the pay-per-view. Yeah, it's not like you know. It's not like I feel like this. This cost them a lot more. I mean, they were, they were shot this entire show. I think with one camera, maybe two, but there wasn't many. There was no hard camera. Joey Styles is doing all the commentary in post production, so that's okay. It's not like this kind of shot, you know, this kind of thing cost them a lot more than it would have done just to run a normal spot show. Um, so yeah, from that perspective, I'm all for it. You know, I think you know you, you're going to want your your big angles in the ECW arena to a point. But it, it you know, if if people think God, I've got to watch hardcore TV so I don't miss you know an important storyline development from away from the ECW arena, that's a good thing. Um, and yeah, I just think above all else, visually having a show in something that looks visually very different to what they're used to. 
I don't think that's uh, of harm either. Right, we want to the second show of the month. Uh, Chris, you're taking a step back a few years to to uh, to some uh, NWA action that you covered on your own <laughs> podcast um, with uh, Ricky Morton and Tommy Rich. Yes, yeah, so on week two's TV from the 14th of the month, we have the NWA Dream Team of the Rock and Roll Express's Ricky Morton and let's not forget one-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion Tommy Rich going against the Gangsters, the ultimate clash in styles. As you expect, with all gangsters matches, this is a weapons brawl. Um, everyone's using weapons. The gangsters win after New Jack hits a diving chair shot from the top rope. But what makes this match memorable is that after the match, Morton and Rich brawl against with each other, which turns into an impromptu match, which was won in true 1987 NWA fashion with a roll-up. We then go to Team Taz's dojo. We're here for an interview at the Team Taz dojo. And Taz, the question has been asked. Why haven't you wrestled since your match with Rob Van Dam? Why I haven't wrestled? Well, let's see. Sabu can go to Japan and sit out for a month, right? And he's still a glory boy. So I decided, hey, I'm going to sit out. He can sit out, I'll sit out. I don't need to wrestle. I've proven myself here. I've beaten every man the same way every time they put him in front of me. It don't matter. So when Sabu decides to face me, then maybe I'll wrestle. Taz, sir, I've got to ask you this question. Is it true? Is there any validity to the rumor that you may have suffered a severe shoulder injury and that's why you're not wrestling? It's true. I have a severe shoulder injury. It's definitely true. God, I don't believe it. I mean, right here, via satellite on television, you just can't clean about the whole thing. You do have a severe shoulder injury. It's just like that. Uh... One little uh, news for you, Joey. I heard it about three years ago. I heard it right before, right when I got into ECW. This has been an ongoing injury for years. I initially heard it, 19 years old, in a judo tournament. It's an old injury. It's just an old injury that acts up once in a while. I'm a high competitive athlete. This happens. I don't sit home drinking beer, eating popcorn, watching TV. I train and compete every day, not just on the weekends, every day. And with all due respect, if it is indeed an old injury and, and not an injury you suffered against Rob Van Dam, why do you hate Van Dam so much? Why are you so angry at Van Dam? Two reasons why. One, I don't like him. I don't like him. Two, he's a pretty boy Johnny come lately, trying to wrestle in my house, trying to make a name in my house, on my name. I built this place. He's trying to make it on me. Let him go out and pay his dues, get a haircut, train a little bit. Him and his goofy little tempo karate or taekwondo or whatever it is he does, or kung fu or tai chi, whatever it is. I'm the ultimate grappler. I'm the ultimate wrestler. No one especially a punk pretty boy smart ass like Van Dam can take me 
If it's a recurring injury and not one you suffered recently against Rob Van Dam, when then will we see you demonstrate your skills? I'll tell you when. Demonstrate my skills? Next week. Next week, right on ECW. Right on your show. I'll demonstrate in them, Styles. I'll demonstrate my skills. Well, Taz, thank you for your time and thank you for allowing us uninvited into your dojo. And next week, we look forward to seeing you demonstrate your skills. Okay. That's all fine. Now, listen to me very carefully. Don't you ever, ever come here uninvited again. I swear, as God's my witness, Styles, I will tear your head completely off your body. Don't ever come here uninvited. Now, get. Taz is sitting there and goes over how he is not sitting out just like Sabu. And with Sabu going off to the Orient, he is saying that actually, yes, he does harp an injury. It's an injury from his judo days back when he was 17. He goes on to basically call out Taz saying he's a pussy. And that, you know, he could have him on any day. We then get the slug out. Raven calls out Sandman. Again. <laughs> As Rory clearly played with how we all felt about this. They oh, yes. basically punch each other lots. They brawl outside of the ring. Punching each other. They whip each other into the railings then return to punching each other. Raven hits him with a table, and uh, there's an elbow drop, and Raven gets a second table, which he clotheslines Sandman over the top into through, from over the top rope. He DDTs him, and then out comes the BWO. Sandman does what I'm now going to call him as bearing up, spits said beer into Raven's face, and then bat- who then punches most of the members of the BWO. Stevie shoves Raven after he gets hit by him, and Stevie hits a super kick, Stevie kick to Sandman. Stevie and Raven start having a brawl between each other until Sandman DDTs Raven, and then Stevie hits the Stevie kick on Raven. He then gives Sandman a BWO shirt. The Sandman hits some big punches until Raven gets caught in the ropes, a la the Andre the Giant's spot from the 80s. Sandman then canes the living shit out of him. Sandman leaves with the belt. Raven crawls to the back. Bloody. We then get a massive analysis segment of this whole match, basically pretty much reshowing the whole thing again. Raven interrupts Joey during this, saying that he wants Sandman to bring him back his belt. Todd Gordon comes out to tell him to do what all men in ECW should do, and go and take get it back himself. We then get a vignette showing Shane, Douglas, Chris Candido, and Brian Lee starting the new triple threat. And we get the end of the Candido versus Luis Piccoli match. It starts with Louis hitting the Death Valley driver on Chris over the top rope, which was a very impressive sight. This is where Chris Candido played injured. He gets a slap and then quickly wins with a reverse top rope sunset flip. After the match, Shane and Brian come out and put the beat down on Louis by hitting the primetime slam 
the spiked tombstone. Pitbull 2 tries to make a save, but for his efforts, gets beat down too. And that is the end of episode two. Uh, Rory, we, we speak about... Um, yeah, we'll come to Ricky Morton Rich in a bit. Rory, we speak about ECW doing this a bit differently, taking things outside of the, the usual setting. Uh, a visit to Team Taz's dojo. Uh, I quite liked it as a one-off. Me too, I thought it was excellent, actually. I just want to get uh, the negative out of the way. We were supposed to believe that uh, Joey Styles was actually there conducting the interview himself. Yeah, okay, whatever. But apart from that... This was great because it gets Taz over as a legitimate fighter, if not an out-and-out legitimate bloody killer. This man owns a freaking dojo. He trains people to try and be as tough as he is. And he has sat there at his table where you can see through the screen some people there being put through their paces. I thought that was great. It shows this man is a real leader and there could be five or six other Tazes coming down the pipe in a few years. It gave me that impression. What he actually said was, okay, it was pretty standard fare. But it just had that extra significance, that extra context that, yeah, I'm with you, Bob, I really, really liked. And they're just turning the screw more and more on this feud as they go, and they just can't help but get it right. It's fantastic. Chris? As pretty much as Rory's just said, um, I like the fact that in the background you're seeing the, the kids doing the Hindu swats and sort of, you know, doing circle of them in a ring knowing that when Taz does have the full entourage that he does some of the times when he comes out with the team Taz, it gives them a, a purpose and a more sort of a sense of who they actually are other than, oh yeah, they're just some people that we call team Taz. You know, now that you've seen these kids that are in the dojo getting trained, are they the people that come out with Taz? Are they legitimate badasses like, because they've been trained by Taz? Um, Obviously, taking interviews out of the backstage area or ringside has been something ECW have done a few times before, obviously, namely the Public Enemy and their tour of New Hampshire and the Keys and sitting on verandas and the gangsters in the hood. So giving people areas sort of you know locations which are very much in character keeping with their character is is something that works really well obviously you know they used to do it a fair bit back in the day in the fed when people had you know Arkeen would be in a sort of with bikes or a dumpster fire when he turned from one man gang to Arkeen um you know the undertaker to have the funeral parlor you know, things like that. So it, it's something that's been done before, but obviously isn't done now. And for something that is quite a simple concept to do, I think it works really, really well. I think that was Shane Douglas's car hightailing it out from that angle with a pit bull a few months ago. <laughs> just riding past. Um, yeah, no, big fan of this. Uh, you, know, you can't do it too often, but I, I, you know, you want to talk about fleshing out characters, and all right, it kind of helps this exist. They didn't really have to set this up. Um, a visit to Taz's dojo frames a lot about what he's about. It gives him a lot more credibility than him just saying things. Like, you know, show me, don't tell me. It's always the way. Um, I like a bit of that. I kind of agree with Roy. The, the, the live via satellite thing is a bit of a push. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, I think we'll get used to that. Um, Chris, let's talk about one of your favourite topics. Ricky Morton and Tommy Rich. In 1997, oh. 
Seems a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, um, as anyone that's ever listened to me on Super Brawls will know, my absolute disdain for Tommy Rich in his quote-unquote prime of the 80s. So to see him 10 years later in ECW of all places, I, I don't get why he's there or who has thought that this is a good idea. Is is it just to annoy people like me that know the history with him? I don't know. Let's. I'm, so, I'm partly sort of interested to see where it goes because is is it there just to you know annoy the people that lived through NWA and early WCW? As for Morton, you know it's always good to see the the greatest mullet in known wrestling. But again, I don't see what his purpose is here in, in ECW in 1997. Again, I, I don't see what he adds to the product or any value that he brings to the table. But, you know, is this that I, I have a predisposition to, to these people from, from my past? So what, what did you two take of, of these two being here? Roy? The York Foundation explode. Um... <laughs> Now, it's, it's, it really is a strange thing, because ECW pride themselves. I mean, the whole reason ECW exists is because Shane Douglas threw down the NWA belt three years ago and proclaimed his disdain for the history of pro wrestling and all that, and now ECW with a new game in town and all that. And yet we've got a brand new year, and they're bringing in Tommy Rich and Ricky Morton a week after having Killer Kowalski. Again, I, I wonder if they are just trying to wind us up, right, like Chris suggests, because this goes completely against their supposed modus operandi. It's not like these two are Terry Funk who have the real, the real A, the real history behind them and B, a genuine understanding of what ECW is supposed to be about. They're just, especially in the case of Tommy Rich, old blokes from many years ago who never really did anything anyway. And yes, I know Tommy Rich was NWA champion for about uh, two milliseconds back in 1981. I just don't see the point of it, especially as we get to see yet more of Tommy Rich again a bit later on this month. Uh, a puzzler at best, I think, but, uh, not a puzzle I particularly want to solve. Yeah, um, you know, just a bit strange. You know, I think Rory's right. It's, it, it's not ECW is generally about the guys coming up, the guys that are going to get better, or the occasional big name. See Terry Funk, see Rick Rude, that kind of thing. Tommy Rich ain't that guy. Ricky Morton ain't that guy. Um, it just didn't really work. We'll uh, we'll discuss that more as and when it comes up. Uh, well, both this month and possibly in the future as well. Um, I, I, Chris, very quick thoughts on on the, the, the Sandman Raven stuff and also the triple threat? Um, Sandman Raven is pretty much the broken record at the moment of can these two just sort of stop this? Because I like Raven, but you put him with... Sandman, he, he, even I can't like Sandman, Raven when he's against Sandman. Um, as for the triple threat, it's great that they've finally admitted that it's uh, happening and that they're a team. Um, as we mentioned last, with the end of year stuff, uh, last month, the obvious feuds coming out of this with the Pitbulls, uh, with Dreamer, 
you know, there there is a lot that now can sort of move forward with it being an official thing that they are all Shane's lackeys. Rory, thoughts on the above? Uh, I'll be very quick on Raven Summer because uh, we'll be talking about it again a bit later. Yay. But uh, all I will say, as much fun as it was to see them punch each other for 10 minutes was or wasn't, it was still probably a better watch than the match they had back in November. So um, play the Sandman's strength, just let him punch for 10 minutes as long as I don't have to see it. Uh, but the triple threat, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm liking these guys. I think it's they're three very good people to put together. Candido's come in with a bit of goodwill, but I think he's strikes as one of these people who's better as a heel anyway. And having a, 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 three, a three-pronged attack, because I think they like Brian Lee and ECW, but doing this can hide his own deficiencies because some of the longer singles matches he's been in uh, over the past few months have not been particularly stellar. So here he can just play to his strengths. Uh, Douglas as, as the ring leader. I think these two can really, uh, of these three, can really uh, fuck shit up, so to speak. I think they're going to be a big heel group. And uh, yeah, they're already there. They've started well. Chris, episode three of the month. On the 21st of the month, we open with Joey in the ring. The triple threat attack Tommy Dreamer and the Eagle's Nest. Uh, basically hitting him with a chair and uh, some trash cans in a beatdown. A single arm DDT by Shane. And then they toss him from the Eagle's Nest, missing the usual place where the chair, the table is, all the way to the floor. This brings out Terry Funk, who basically gets the stretcher, and on the way back, and my heart sunk as this happened, Tommy Rich attacks Terry Funk, <laughs> tips Dreamer off the stretcher, and puts the boots in. Oh, oh joy. Joey, now still in the ring, brings out Taz with Fonzie, and, for the first time this month, that fucking whistle. Taz says that he doesn't look hurt. Says that both Sabu and RVD are punks and he will destroy them both. And then starts calling out the fans. Well played, Taz. Our first match of the evening sees the Eliminators going against Axel and D-Bomb. Start all four a brawling. The Eliminators hit some gut kicks and lariat combos on both men. Taz, on commentary, calls the Eliminators the greatest tag team in the world. Both of the Eliminators hit top second rope moonsaults and all go to the outside brawling. The Eliminators hit a spinning hook kick to Devon and Axel hits some clotheslines. Axel and Saturn have... As my personal favourite thing to say on Super Bowls, a chop battle. And Devon and Cronus brawl outside. Saturn hits some amazing head kicks. Uh, there's a top rope splash, and Axel whips Saturn into the railings as Cronus hits a handstand tumble elbow to Devon in the ring. A second rope leg drop. Axel hits an elbow drop and Devon uses a chair. Axel hits the Dominator for a two count. Saturn then kicks the chair into Devon's face. They hit the total elimination on Axel and get the win. Shane comes out during a Bubba vs Pitbull 2 match 
putting a bounty on Pitbull 2's head. He then increases the bounty until the bad crew comes out. They only basically get beat down by Bubba and Pitbull. Devon and Axel come out to have a go, and Bubba hits a beautiful pop-up Bubba cut on Devon, and Pitbull hits a fall-away slam from the second rope. At this point, the triple threat comes out, and Bubba gets primetime slammed through a table, and Pitbull 1 gets one from the ring all the way through the table on the outside, and in the remnants of the table, Shane hits him with a single-arm DDT. Next match we see is Terry Funk going against Brian Lee. We open uh, the match with both men in the crowd. Lee is punching and Funk is bust open very early. He then exposes his knee, pulling down his tights and removing his knee pad, and starts hitting him with chair shots straight to the knee. They finally get into the ring and Lee boots in the knees, hits a head smash into the outside and a turnbuckles, a pile driver and some punches. Funk manages to back his way up and hit some clubbing blows and a headbutt. Funk hits a pile driver onto a chair on the outside, hits chair shots to the knee and the head, and then back in the crowd for more brawling. Chairs and punches, the usual in-crowd battling. Lee starts to get some info on his own. Lee crotches Funk on the railings and then slams Funk face-first into the table on the ringside. Lee goes back to kicking the legs, and Funk manages to get a leg drop through the table on Lee. Lee lobs what's left of the table into the ring. Uh, The table's put in the corner, and Funk is thrown through the remnants. Lee stomps him, and then Funk hits some swinging punches basically anywhere that he can, as he's very disorientated. They both go back to the outside with exchange punches. Lee gets whipped into the railings. At this point, Shane and Chris come out and start attacking Funk on the outside. They set up a table as Lee primetime slams him from the apron through the through the table. They put him back into the ring for Brian Lee to get the win. It seems that we got a little problem tonight. Tommy Dreamer is at the hospital being stitched up thanks to the triple threat. (laughs) So I've got no opponent. So who in the dressing room can come out and give me a fight?
in my New Year's resolution is to change the direction of the ECW. starts bad-mouthing Funk until Funk punches him and Lee then chokes him out and the triple threat attack again. Back out to the ring, Shane and Francine are out. Shane starts going after one of the refs. We now have a masked gentleman making his way down to the ring. He takes the mic and mentions that his New Year's resolution is to fuck with the franchise. At this point, out comes Pitbull 1. He literally batters Shane Douglas with an array of clubbing blows, clotheslines, and goes for the powerbomb, but Shane scarpers his way out to finish. Just to, just to fill in some of the gaps in the, uh, in the review of that final part. So Douglas says, you know, who's out to come out? And then, then we look over and we see a guy walking out in a mask. And Rick Rude is not a short man. And he's walking out and there's a guy amongst others that kind of leans over the guardrail a bit and gets a bit close as Rude walks past in this mask. He's otherwise dressed completely normally. Just a kind of jumper and jeans. And he walks past, and the guy can clearly see through the mask. He turns around to the people behind and goes, It's Rick Rude, lads. It's Rick Rude. Uh, which kind of blew the cover. And then they get into the ring, and Rude says about four words, and a plate explodes. 
because Rick Rude's got a very, very distinctive voice. So they all, they've all kind of worked it out anyway, but they wait for that moment. And then, Roy, the, the rest of the angle doesn't really make sense because fans are chanting, rude, rude, rude. Douglas is trying to pretend he doesn't know who it is. Um, and my big question is, is how the fuck they ever thought that people weren't going to work this out between now and the pay-per-view, which was the original plan? It couldn't have been any more Rick Rude if they tried. It would have been... It, it, we might as well just have Rick Rude go, go up to, to, to Douglas and say... Douglas, you're fat and you're out of shape. Now watch me when I take my mask off and I show you what a real sexy man is about. <laughs> it might as well have just gone ahead and do that. It was so, so, so damn obvious. But um, I was able to look past it, really. I, I, but, yeah, you, you are absolutely right, Bob. I can't believe they thought for one second they were going to be able to get even weeks, let alone months, out of playing up the drama of a mystery of who this masked man is. They can't really have been thinking that, can they? I mean, they did well, want to keep Rick Rude's appearance. appearance. Apparently, yeah, Rick Rude, um, uh, by and large, backstage, they didn't actually, none of, the, um, none of the talent knew that it was Rick Rude until pretty much he, he went out there. So I've got to give them that. But, but even so, there are, for a smart crowd out there, like him or not, they're going to work these things out pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, if, ECW should have it easy with their audience. There's certain things you know about your audience if you're ECW that's much more difficult to control if you're WCW or the WWF. And they, you know, they just make weird decisions sometimes. Now, credit's down to a point that they're very, very quick to change those when they see them going wrong. Um, that being said, I, I really enjoyed the angle. Roots are great. It's great to see Rick Rude back. Let's say that. Oh, yeah. We haven't seen Rick Rude since middle of 94 or something like that. It's great to see Rude back. Rude's always been an excellent promo. Um, him in him in ECW is is going to be a lot of fun, depending on how long he's there for. Because I get the feeling WCW might call him up in a bit. What it's worth, Rick Rudy still completely out of commission as a wrestler. Does it the Rude Awakening on the next show? But otherwise, he's out of commission. Um, but I just thought, yeah, you know, it's great to hear a guy like Rude. It was great to see Douglas get some comeuppance. Um, in fact, yeah, Chris, uh, talk to us about Rude. We'll come on to the bit with Gary Wolf in a minute. Yeah, um, as as you both said, it was one of those of, uh, the minute he walked out, I saw him and I was like, that's Rick Rude, or it's someone that looks awfully like him. Because, obviously, because the bit of the tash sort of sticking out of the, of the mask, and he has a very sort of defining sort of looking body, and, and especially how he walks as well. And then the moment he opens his mouth... It's distinctly, definitely rude. Um, props to him for the fact, as, as Rory was saying, that there's talk that he was backstage all day in the mask, so much so that he was trying to to sort of keep the, the gimmick there. Um, I, I think just wish if... they'd have sent him out in, in, in the mask, but in Rick Rude trunks. <laughs> to see if that would have worked like right, Rick Rude trunks with, with, with the women on the front but a mask on and then Douglas still pretends like he doesn't know that would have been even better and say so if, if they wanted this to be kept as sort of something that they could wouldn't have made it as obvious I think maybe they could have taped the vignette or done it as a backstage thing where the crowd aren't going to basically shit on it because they've, they've gone, we know who this is, it's Rick Rude, we're super excited it's Rick Rude. 
you know, it's one of those of maybe doing it backstage. Yes, the fans at home may have gone, that seems a lot like Rick Rude. Is it? Is it not? But having it sort of in front of people, I think it sort of, it wasn't going to be able to be kept a secret. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I feel like that's true. Um, and then Chris Rude introduces, uh, you know, the guy that's going to take down Douglas because it won't be Pitbull 2 because they're taking him out. It won't be Tom Dreamer because they're taking him out. It's Pitbull 1. And the place quite rightly explodes and Pitbull 1 quite rightly just disposes of Douglas. Um, my our qualms with, with the Rude reveal aside, I thought this was a really good segment between the Rude promo, which was very, very good because Rude is very, very good. And this quite brief but quite effective post-match angle, I, I think two big thumbs up for this segment, Chris. Yeah. Um, actually, as, as a way of bringing back Gary, um, this is perfect because it makes him look like a monster because he's literally, he's come out and he is gone hell for leather. Um, obviously, we know that Rude can't wrestle because of the, the injury that he sustained back in WCW a few years back. Um, so, you know, he can't go against them and we know that he can't go against the triple threat. But if he could be the one that Maybe, you know, puts Wolf, Dreamer, or the limit of Pitbulls and Dreamer together more and sort of, you know, be the, be the figurehead to push them together. You could go from that. So sort of having him come out and just, just taking out Douglas works because the rest of the triple threat weren't there. So they didn't have the outnumbered thing, you know, for, for, for now. On obviously you can do the outnumbered thing and sort of take them down one one each, but you need to have that hope spot and Gary coming out and battering Shane on his own one on one gives that hope that you know the good guys can beat the evil dictatorship that is the Triple Threat. Rory thoughts on people one? Yeah, absolutely agree. I thought they played this perfectly. Douglas as a Douglas is just a heel, and it was fantastic. When he runs through, yeah, it's not going to be Pitbull 2, I've taken care of him. Not going to be Dreamer, I've taken care of him. Okay, we all know that it's going to be Pitbull 1, but the character of Shane Douglas doesn't. It's 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 not in his wheelhouse. He thinks he's done everything. There's nobody else left for him to Well, he doesn't him. even recognise Rick Rude. I think if they'd have put Pitbull in <laughs> the back, he probably wouldn't have worked that either. It, 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 it took him seven days, and even then he wasn't absolutely sure, as, as we'll get to. But then it hits everyone. Everyone looks at the entrance where there's Pitbull 1 marauding out, and quite rightly, he just gets 90 seconds of beating the absolute living hell out of Douglas. As you say, it's about time that the Douglas character got some of his... He's, he's such a great heel, people just want to see him get beaten up, and that is what happened. And as Chris says, it leaves you to think that maybe, just maybe, that uh, the triple threat will at some point down the line get what's coming to them as well. This was simple returning babyface stuff, but hey, when it works, it works, and this just clicked beautifully. It was great. Chris, final episode of the month. So, on uh, week four from the 28th of the month, um, we open with Mikey Whitbreck against some nameless rookie that they don't even mention his name at any point. Mikey wins. Uh, we get a recap of the Rude turning up last week segment. 
and we get told we're in Skankton, Pennsylvania. Or Scranton, even. Scranton, even. Uh, Joey brings out the triple threat. Shane introduces them as the triple threat. And his mum told them about, if it smells like a rose, it must be a rose. But he doesn't, you know, really say that he knows that it's rude or knows that it's rude. He's hired someone to help protect Francine. He's hired Mike Awesome. We get a triple threat highlight package. We then get a Terry Funk promo. Where he uh, says that Tommy Dreamer is much like Terry Funk's dad. In that he's, he's a great man and has a great character. Funk says that he wants Raven and the world title. And that the ECW way... Is the only way. We are back to the dojo uh, with Taz. Um, he says that he's had a major shoulder surgery so he can return to hurting people. Recently, he has only been at 80% and he hurts people, but now that he's 110%, he's really going to hurt people. And has called out once again Sabu and Taz. We have Raven uh, berating Stevie Richards. Says that he's took a man's son and a man's wife just for fun. So what will he do now that he's turned his attentions to Stevie? We get quick highlights of the Stevie Richards versus Little Guido match in which Stevie won with a Stevie kick. We have... Raven going against Sandman in a title versus hair match Raven's out first who is sat there with Laurie as Sandman is in the crowd with his traditional fag and beer Raven jumps Sandman as he's getting into the ring and starts caning him and gets two count it's a very quick pile driver and grabs a table and puts it into the ring Raven whips Sandman into the table and gets another beer and pours it on Raven. They lob the table at each other outside and brawl outside. Raven throws Sandman back into the table. There's an apron stomp and an apron elbow drop, which is then stopped by Raven hitting a bull shot. He throws half of the broken table at Sandman. Sandman blocks a chair shot and hits a DDT onto the chair, but Laurie comes in to break up the pin. Sandman grabs her top, revealing a BWO shirt. Raven canes Sandman and again gets a two count. The BWO come out. Stevie shoves Raven and then goes for a super kick and hits Raven into a white Russian leg sweep. But Raven lands on top of Sandman, getting the free count. We then see, as our main event of the evening, Pitbull 2 versus Brian Lee. As you'd imagine with these two, it opens as a slugfest, with big punches everywhere. Pitbull hits a backdrop and a spinning heel kick. Lee low blows, then uses the railings for a, in a prime time slam. But Pitbull is up quicker than Hawk taking a pile driver. 
a big boot, and then another prime time slam. Again, Pitbull 2 getting up, but not as quick. The triple threat comes out and does a three-on-one beatdown until Wolf comes out. Then bringing Tommy Dreamer with him to even the odds. The Pitbulls clear the ring and grab Francine. The triple threat get the advantage as they hit Wolf in the neck. The triple threat then double team on two, Pitbull 2 and stands supreme. Out comes Rude, still in the mask. He wants Francine, who Shen sends into him. Awesome tries to jump him, but gets the rude awakening as we end the show. You know, sometimes it takes a loss to bring your life into focus and figure out actually what your goals are. And uh, I came back to the dressing room and I sat there and I sat there and I sat there and an hour must have went by and I looked down and I haven't even unlaced my shoes yet. I thought about a lot of things. I thought about Tommy Dreamer. And I know I've told you people this before. Uh, there's nobody in this world that tries any harder than that guy right there. And we're all his fans. And no matter how satisfied we are with him, he just always wants to do a little bit better. And he's got the right name and that dreamer name. He reminds me of somebody a long, long, long time ago. That person he reminds me of is my father, Dory Funk Sr., who was also a professional wrestler. And in 1973, he was in his 50s, and he had this dream. He wanted to be champion. And that was what he wanted to do all of his life. He wanted to be the world's champion. Wrestling was his life. And that was an important thing to him. But it never happened. The reason it didn't happen, because in 1973, June of that year, my father had a massive heart attack while he was wrestling. My brother and I rushed into the hospital and on the way to the hospital, he says, how much further do I have to go? And I looked at him, and I knew he was in a lot of pain. I said, not much further, Dad, just a couple more miles. And he said, Dad, gummit. He says, I can't make it. I'm going. Well, those were his last words. And whatever those were his last words, I figured that the Lord had good reason to take him. And he did take him. And it was the saddest day in my brother and my life. And it will be the saddest day in my life probably forever. Now, 24 years later, here I am trying to figure out my goals. After a loss. And what my goal is right now is that I guess I'm a dreamer too. <laughs> I want to be world's champion. I know if I get in the ring against that ECW champion, if I can get in there against Raven, I, I know that, that I can beat him. I just, I just feel it. And why do I want to do it? I thought about that too. I want to do it for all you hardcore fans out there. I want to do it for all of us old parts to prove that we don't have one foot in the grave. 
but most of all I want to do it to fulfill my father's dreams that's what I want to do is fulfill his dreams now I know that I can't guarantee a victory but dad government I can guarantee that I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to quit and I want to just keep on going and if I can get him in the match a championship match and if I can beat him and they present me with that belt I don't want to stand out there and say I did it my way <laughs> I want to invite every one of you ECW fans that are in the arena that night to come in the arena and stand with me and I want us to hold our arms in the air and I want to invite anybody that's watching it on television to hold our, their arms in the air and say we did it our way not like the WWE we did it our way not like the WCW we did it our way not like AAA, New Japan, All Japan, FMW we did it our way not like the ultimate fighting organizations we did it our way and what is our way that's the ECW way and what is the ECW way it's the only way because it's the most physical dangerous form of wrestling in the world today bar none we did it our way because we love it that way we love it that way Rory bugger me that Terry Funk promo oh just the man is the man is a phenom yep I, I use those words accordingly whenever I hear Terry Funk talk I am hearing Terry Funk talk it's almost a disservice to call that a promo. He means it, man. When he says he see, going back to the uh, the first ECW show I was on uh, at the end of '95, uh, when he says he sees Tommy Dreamer in him, I believe him. When he says he understands what ECW is about and he knows what the ECW way means, I believe him. When when he looks to the camera and he's giving it the eyes, I honestly believe he is talking to me. And I'm just then nodding along saying, yes, Terry. Yes, Terry. Yes, Terry. He's just got me. He just has this special knack. I don't even think he's trying. There are some fantastic people in the wrestling industry who try to cut fantastic promos. Terry Funk is a wrestler's wrestler talking to you about what wrestling is and what it means. And in these times where we're all a bit, a bit cynical and we all really know what's going on, I think it's so refreshing that there is somebody who has been there, done it, and wants to tell us about it. And of all mm. the three organisations now, he's in the right place. He gets ECW, and ECW mm. get him. And when he was choking up at the end, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I nearly lost it as well. Uh, we're going to be remembering this one in 11 months' time, I promise you. The man mm. is pure. We'll discuss Funk's run for more uh, more in a bit. Chris, thoughts on the promo itself? It was, in a way, classic standard Funk fare. 
but as Rory has quite rightly said, when Funk says something, it holds a gravitas and enough sort of candor and meaning that you would sort of believe anything that that man says. Um, obviously, the fact of how, how he talks about Tommy Dreamer, obviously, DCW faithful love Tommy Dreamer, and, you know, they don't need him to be sort of put on a pedestal by by Funk. But anyone new to the product that may not, you know, get it, someone like Funk saying it, that there's that credibility between for Dreamer gives it straight away that he re- he actually means it and he is actually you know the heart of this company. Part of me doesn't like watching Funk wrestle because you know I know how old he is. I saw the bumps he was taking in the eighties. To think that he's still taking them now at his age upsets me. But you know I would quite happily listen to him talk uh you know if if we could have him you know in a role where he he's making all the all the shows talking and you know making all the matches that would be wonderful and i don't have to see him get hurt because you know uncle uncle terry i don't want to see him get hurt yeah um we'll, we'll come back to the ramification of the else at the end but yeah this you know i've been calling it a problem many ways it wasn't it's just fun talking to camera like you know it's it's hard not to to get drawn in i mean the guy was talking about the night his dad died i mean you know good luck not getting drawn in by that um yeah another good prayer from taz you know we'll have heard that we won't spend much much time chatting about that but that was quite good as well i, I like that you know that this is moving forward taz is gonna have to do the bulk of the talking work i mean they've that they, they've been away from so long i, mean, I can't remember the last time paul Heyman was on tv um but, yeah, they, they, they've kind of been away from Heyman being Sabu's mouthpiece for so long that Taz is really going to have to carry this program um, as best he can. Sit on nights when Sabu isn't around. He's in Japan at the moment. So there's that. Um, and the other discussion point from the show was, was the continuation of the Douglas Rude triple threat, etc. Pitbull's angle. Um, Chris, like, we, you know... If Shane Douglas didn't get the message was up from the previous show, he had Rude doing a rude awakening, Rude doing the hip gyration, and then he took the uh, yeah, and then Douglas stands in the AR way looking fucking shocked, <laughs> and it didn't really make sense. But still, Rude being Rude is quite funny. Yeah, it is, as we were saying, you know, it is nice to have Rude back being himself. Obviously, we're not going to get him in the ring, but you know being with all his normal mannerisms. Though, I'm partially thinking when we do get the reveal, because I can't see them going all the way to barely legal before we see Rude's actual face, that I, I don't know how Shane's going to sell that in in the face facial expression of, of that level of shock that it's Rick Rude, if sort of going by what we've seen already. Um, I think this is the best, sort of a really good use of him. Obviously, you know, Mike Awesome isn't a member of the Triple Threat. He has just been hired to be the bodyguard for Francine. So you're not losing anything. I suppose, couldn't they? (laughs) But, you know, it's one of those of it helps that they can go, oh, there's this guy, he's been hurt. That's fine. Um, 
as you say, they they could have very much dealt with him in Revere because you know there wouldn't have been fans groping her if uh, they've got because he looks big. I, I would say he's a good six and a half to seven foot tall. So you know he's not a small gentleman. Is Mike Awesome? Um, I look forward to see what we get next month with this. That's going to definitely be a continuing storyline. Roy, that bit that uh, Dog just did at the beginning of the show was so weird. I like they put it in there, but it was just weird, and this is why. He kept saying it looked like him, it sounded like him, it felt like him, etc. He still never actually said the words Rick Root. <laughs> so it's as if they were still trying to pertain the myth that maybe, just maybe, it still might have been somebody else. But um, why can't the promo and then be that surprised when it's Rick Root? Precisely. I'm, I, I hope that as we speak, they're doing some rewrites here, because the original plan now is just is not going to work. It's a shame because I liked Rude last week and I liked a lot of what happened here as well. But they've got to be careful of not straying into uh, intelligence insulting uh, roads here. It's not like the WWF back in the mid-80s when they had their brief run with Hulk Machine and Super Machine and Andre Machine, whatever they were called, where that was part of the gag. We knew who they were. Here we're not supposed to know who Rick Rude is. And even though the eventual payoff might be that Douglas is shocked. I don't think we're really going to be seeing it that way, so they've got to be careful here. But I still thought the the actual closing scene they did here was good. It was right that the triple threat got a little bit back nice and early. We're going to be getting some good back and forth here over the next few weeks. I'd like it to be fairly even with maybe the, the triple threat and awesome if he sticks around just about getting the... Uh, the equivalent of the upper hand, say 60-40, maybe a bit more, 70-30 perhaps, over uh, over Pitbull 1 until he eventually hits back and gets some sort of big win against them. Uh, so they're telling the general story correctly, but they're, they've lost it a bit on the specifics here. Yeah, I need to rework it, but I think they'll get there, um, you know, to a point, as much as he's had on Hardcore TV, it didn't happen at the ECW Arena, so, you know, I did it on Hardcore TV, I suppose. Mm. Um, but it worked quite well um, between... Um, you know, it's glad to see the rude awakening again. The the reaction when all that went down, Douglas's, you know, shock was a bit OTT, but you know, I can live with that. Um and yeah, it's a decent angle. You know, like the, the pit bulls are back, Rick Rude's around. I mean I am just waiting for Rick Rude and, and Shane Douglas to have a promo, proper promo exchange. We know it's Rick Rude. Um but I think it's the the bit they need to fill in Okay, Rick Rude's told us why he's here, but now tell us what your motivation is. Why are you here to fuck with Shane Douglas? What's your motivation for that? They need to fill that in. We finished the show kind of with a bit we were discussing a few minutes ago, but uh, and also tying you in the front. Uh, the prospect of Terry Funk challenging for the ECW title and quite possibly winning it in April at the pay-per-view. Chris, in amongst the promo we heard with Terry Funk, where he was talking about his dad and all of that, really, really good, did it not feel a little bit weird that Funk went, and after all that, my main goal now is to win the ECW title? And does it also not feel a little bit weird that the ECW title just doesn't feel that hot right now? And I didn't watch that and thought, oh, great, Funk's got this big mission. I kind of went, oh, he's stepping down to fight for the ECW world title. It made me think when obviously him going on about it obviously especially after the importance of speaking about his his dad was that maybe having Funk going for the title will mean that they put a bit more of an effort behind the belt you know having, having someone with the name value of a Funk 
and you know the work effort that you're going to get from him and the feeling that you're going to get from him behind the belt that actually it may bring it bring the belt up to the level where it should be instead of him going down to the level where the belt is now and it also meant a feeling of joy that you know Sandman and Raven may be finishing very soon and I don't have to watch them two punch each other anymore maybe maybe Roy Please, please, please tell me Sandman Raven is coming to an end soon, please. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm back now. Right, okay, yes, Terry Funk, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, uh, man, I've, I've, cold sweats, I think is the expression there. But yes, Terry Funk, well, five minutes after praising him to the skies about that wonderful promo, I'm going to bring things down a little bit now. As much as I flat out adore the man, and even that isn't coming close to how I just my, my, my worship of Terry Funk and everything he's done and everything he could still do, no, no matter how devalued the ECW title has become, and let's face it, they've done a lot of devaluing themselves, is putting the title on middle-aged and crazy 53-year-old Terry Funk. What message is that really sent? He is 53 years old. I think you said he was 47 earlier. Terry Funk is 53 years old. Bloody hell. And so middle-aged and a bit and crazy, let's say that. <laughs> What message is that necessarily sending out? I think he's 52. Okay, here here we go. That's that's, that's an important difference. Okay, a 52-year-old man, I completely negate my argument. (laughs) 52-year-old man, what message does that send out? Assuming that this is the... Even if it's only the semi-main events of the um, uh, the first pay-per-view and he wins the title, which I must say it looks like is almost certainly going to happen at this point. What does that say about what ECW are going to, going to be doing through, through the, the rest of 1997? He's going to be older than WCW's world champion. He's sure as hell going to be older than whoever it is at the time, WWF's world champion. So, unless they've got a, another further built-in story with Terry Funk at the after Bailey Legal, if he wins there, and I'm not saying they won't, but they need to have one. I'm just thinking about this out loud now. I would have done this slightly differently. I would have brought Terry in, brought him back in a month or so ago as a, as Tommy Dreamer's second. And I would have Tommy Dreamer playing Terry Funk's story for him. I know they've got this story about Tommy Dreamer. He's got unfinished business with Raven first. But hey, what better way than actually taking the belt off him if they want to go back there? But I don't think that's going to happen. But um, they've got to have a story after barely legal to really make this sense because let's be honest guys do we see Terry Funk holding the title for long after that? Well I think it's kind of more the question that like if, if Funk wins the title and he probably will like you know I, I, I know Funk's a legend I know they like him at ECW but I don't know that you want Terry Funk on every show I don't know that you want Terry Funk as this touring champion for all that big a length of time. I could see Funk train last a couple of months to look at it on someone else. I, at least, at least it was nice to hear someone say, I want to win the ECW title. Because in the months and months and months of Sandman and Raven, nobody else is talking about the belt. Mikey Whitrack's a former champion. Hasn't, hasn't, you know, hasn't, been mentioned in the discussion, hasn't mentioned about wanting to win back his title. Taz is on his own thing, wants to dominate ECW, but doesn't want anything to do with the belt. Neither Sabu, all these big names. It's nice to hear someone else say, I want to win that championship, at least. At least. Chris, any more thoughts on anything Roy said? I think you pretty much both sort of put it really well, though, that it would be nice for someone to actually want the belt. 
instead of it being this thing that is partly a reason that Sandman and Raven are having a feud, there we've actually got people wanting this 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 item, you know, this this pinnacle of this company should be its world title. You know, when you watch the Fed or you watch WCW, people want those belts. People are going, I want to go after this title. I want this championship. We get it with the tag team titles in ECW. You know, there's teams wanting the tag team belts. Then, so they get the concept of people, you know, wanting in a chase for a bell. They just seem to have forgotten to do anything with the world title, but, you know, now Funk wants the belt. Let's, you know, see if this then kicks into life, this title. Because as we've said for the last couple of years, on, on especially on the end of your year reviews, that the least important thing in ECW seems to be its title. When was the last time it actually really meant something? I want to say when, maybe when, when they really made a big deal of it. Was it maybe when Mikey won it for the first time? Do you believe in miracles and all that? That was, what, 15 uh, months ago? I might even be stretching that. Uh, so I don't think, um, even though it's changed hands, Raven's has it ever meant that much? Because I, I remember we were, we were having the discussions in 94 around, you know, Douglas is the champion. He's cutting all these great promos, but he's not headlining shows. Like they were headlining shows with the public enemy and things like that. Douglas was in the mid-card. I don't know if it's ever meant that much. I don't know that the, the, the ECW title has ever been the biggest thing in the company. I don't know that the championship has ever been this, you know, lauded or, you know, much veiled out of thing. I think, you know, in terms of when you think about ECW's big draws, the title's never been anything. Chris? As I say, I think, I think the, the most important night in the ECW title's life was that fateful night when Shane spat on the NWA title. Um, and it's, is it that it was given too much of a sort of a high bar at that point with the effort they put in then? And all, they just didn't go with or what? Isn't that the whole thing? It's a... Uh... It's a thing about presentation. It's just a matter of, you know, you, you could build the ECW title up just by having guys saying, I want it. A promo from Mikey Wirak, I want to win the ECW title again. Good. That's a story. I can get behind that. Dream has never won it. You know, I, I've, I have got unfinished business with the Raven. I want to win his title. You know, yeah, I'm not saying you have to switch from where they are now a complete 180 and have everyone be chasing over the title. But when nobody wants it, when, when, you know, when Funk's the first guy to say, I want the title, when what feels like months, you know, the, 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 remember the big thing with Douglas about six, seven months ago, where, you know, he had the feud with Raven, and they didn't want to take the title off of Raven, but they didn't want to have Douglas lose cleanly. And so they ended that just with Raven winning by fluky means again, and then Douglas pivoted into a feud with two called Scorpio on the basis Scorpio badgered him into wanting the TV title. They've never got that right, and I don't really understand why. But it's at times like this when it's starting to backfire, because Funk coming in and saying, I want to win the ECW world title, doesn't mean that much, because nobody wants to win it. And it's like Funk just comes across a bit senile, a bit old, that he puts this, you know, extra high valuation or something that doesn't really mean anything. Rory anymore? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um, I think, Chris, you'll absolutely bang on when you say that the the Douglas spit and throw three years ago now, it's almost as if at the time they thought this is good as going to get for this belt. 
it's so I was just thinking about it as you were talking there. They make a lot more play seemingly of the TV title than, than the world title. Is that just to spite the other two companies? I don't know. It's no matter whether you're the smallest indie company in the world or you are number one in the world, it doesn't matter. Your world title has to be your main focus. That should be the thing that everybody is there for. Yes, you're going to meet other people down the line. Yes, you're going to feud with other wrestlers. Yes, people are going to throw you off your track. But at the end of the day, you are there to win championships and to win the big championship. And for a company which supposedly understands the wrestling uh, in a way that uh, the other two sports entertainment companies supposedly don't, uh, it's a major oversight. I hope that they are going to be going on pay-per-view more often than it's something they're going to attend to uh, pretty quickly this year. But I'm not sure I trust them to, I'm afraid. And that'll wrap up this month's show. Thank you to Rory McNamara. Rory. My pleasure, guys. Been a blast, as always. Excellent. Rory, you can be found on Twitter. I'm DM on there. That's R-O-R-S-D-M. And Chris Lighty. It's fun as always, Bob. Chris and continues his kind of slow power grab into the ECW show. I say power grab, I just <laughs> give him more stuff to do. But, you know, the, uh, <laughs> we're just slowly kind of takes over the show. But, uh, Chris, thank you very much. And as I cut you off, please tell us where you can find people, people can find you on Twitter. And as we mentioned during the show, all about Super Rules, the podcast. So you can get me on Lacey555666, where I will be ranting about video games, football, or anything else that takes my fancy that day. And you can hear my musings on WCW. We are at the moment at the very tail end of 1992. We have just released Spin the Wheel, Make the Deal, Halloween Havoc 92. And the... You're, you're catching up with where we started. Dangerously close now. So... You were... And obviously that can all be found on iTunes and we're on Facebook and Twitter, just search Super Brawls. And there may soon also be another podcast coming from myself as I am looking at starting a musical podcast. With with more details coming soon when I finally actually get the hang of it. Because at the minute I'm teaching myself how to edit using Audacity. Ah, oh, yeah, that old chestnut. That takes a while. That's, uh... Yeah, so I, I want to get it all down before I start, you know, putting actual shows out. Chris doing three podcasts, buddy hell. Yeah. Well, well, the thing is, this this other one will literally uh, is going to be either me just picking some songs and playing them, or getting friends that are in music or really like music to talk about music for a bit. So it's it's not one that's going to take lots of research or watching hours of wrestling to put together. You aren't going to have to watch copious amounts of Top of the Pot from the 1980s then. No. What are you unless unless, unless I have someone that comes on that really likes really bad 80s pop music. I don't like really bad 80s pop music, but if you see my Twitter feed, I'm very much in the TOTB hashtag gang, so uh, my knowledge exceeds my... Uh, Let's say my knowledge knowledge exceeds my liking of a lot of that stuff, but uh, it's all there if you want some uh, some meaningless facts for the 80s as well. But if you want me to talk about credible stuff on there, then uh, we have to do that as well. There we go. There we go. <laughs> to uh, to bring things back to where we uh, to, to where we finish. A reminder: we are on Patreon for five bucks a month. You can, where possible, 
uh, you get early access to shows. This month has been a bit of a write-off in that regard. Uh, we we are sat here the Wednesday before the Sunday where we're taking the final show of the month, and I've not edited anything such as been the month. That's going to be a fun weekend. I've got to edit three shows and then record the other one, then edit that and then put it all online. Uh, but yes, most months where possible, where I've got time to edit them, patrons will get access to shows before they go live where, where they're edited. If you like did that, or if you just want to say thank you for us contributing to your podcast, listing rotation, you can find out more information at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20RS. Links on the web on our website and in the podcast description. Three other shows for you this month across two other volumes. Volume one is the WF show looking at the Royal Rumble. Volume two, part one, is the WCW show looking at Clash of the Champions. And volume two, part two, is the WCW show looking at NWO sold out in a very, very early contender for worst show of the year. Uh, you can find more information at wrestling20rs.com. All the information is on there. Blogs, back episodes, iTunes links, email subscriptions, all of the above. I am currently going through all the end of year stuff. It's the end of January and I'm about 70% of the way through it. Um, but there are now three different uh, end of year, end of year review pieces for ECW, WCW and the WWF. Anyway, I'll wrap this up. My name's been Bob Bamber. My name is Bob Bamber, has been. My name is, I have been Bob Bamber. This is the <laughs> volume three of the January 1997 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>